What is going on, everybody? My name is David, and this is Free From Missing Out, the best podcast about living in a connected world. So to get some of the quick housekeeping items out of the way, I mentioned it in episode four, the intro to our podcast, which doesn't make much sense out of episode four, but we're going to gloss over that for now and get back to our housekeeping items which the first one being that I have the Facebook page for Free From Missing Out set up. You should be able to find it at Free From Missing Out. Uh, That is the first place we'll be able to actually interact where you can leave comments, questions. Uh, You know, it has the links to the podcast itself. And um, I think this will be the future of setting up social media. I'm still working on getting Twitter and Instagram set up. I'm just going to focus on getting one at a time because I've, terrible at managing all these social media accounts. So we're just going to do one step at a time and then we'll get all that set up eventually. On another note, we are now on Apple podcast now, which is exciting. They finally let us through that intense screening process. So we can now be, I think we are officially on almost every single platform, at least the main ones, such as Google, Spotify, and Apple, which is great. So if you could please go to Apple Podcasts. If you listen there, please go ahead and subscribe and also leave a rating. Uh, It would really help us out and also share so we can continue to grow this community about being free from missing out. What else? What else? Ah, that's right. Last week's episode. So if you are new to free from missing out, this is your first episode. I would recommend starting back at episode one. Not that they are, you know, in any particular order, but it'll at least give you a basis for what we've been talking about. But last week we talked through politics, how it's changing with social media and how that's altering campaigns and elections, along with how the government is running currently. Now, this week we're going to get into FOMO, the antithesis of what this whole podcast was named after. We're going to break down the history of FOMO, as I like to do with every topic we talk through how bad it's gotten, and then what we can do about it as millennials and you know, intelligent people in this community. I think that's about everything. So without any further ado, let's get into that intro music I found online. Another great song as usual. Maybe one day we will have enough money to actually get a song made for this podcast. But in the meantime, I will keep Googling free background music and fitting it appropriately. I don't know about you, but I actually like it. I think it adds some variety to the episode and you know they're not that bad, actually, surprisingly. I told you we would start with the history of FOMO and that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to get into where FOMO came from. What is it for those of you who are unaware of what FOMO is? And some of you might be aware of what FOMO is and how it affects you. But we're going to go through the actual definition and how it might apply to some things outside of just culture and society for us. The first FOMO, not the first FOMO, the first paper on FOMO was written way back in the year 2000. 
know, it might not be that long ago, but really it's 19 years ago now. And it was written by a marketing strategist, Dr. Dan Herman. Now, Dr. Dan Herman has done extensive research on FOMO, and he actually started becoming aware of this, according to him, back in 1996, doing a focus group on some clients. Now, I encourage you to also check out his website. It's called FOMO, fearofmissingout.com. He has extensive research about FOMO, how it relates to marketing and business and a bunch of other topics that I find very interesting. On this podcast, we're going to focus primarily on the societal side of this, so how it's affecting us in our day-to-day lives and decisions rather than business or marketing or reaching out to people. But I still encourage you to check out his site. I think it's pretty fascinating, the research he's done. So what is FOMO? Well, FOMO, at least described by um, Dr. Herman, is, quote, an experience as it's experienced as a clearly fearful attitude towards the possibility of failing to exhaust available opportunities and missing the expected joy associated with succeeding in doing so. Simply put, it's that we are having this anxiety towards seeing all the available options and not being able to do all of them. And because we're not able to do all of them, we're missing the joy and fun that would be associated with doing all of those opportunities. And that's what's manifesting itself as FOMO to us. Now, it might have been published back in 2000, but FOMO took a while to catch on. It it didn't just, you know, after it was declared, you know, it wasn't deemed as being a societal norm or that pervasive in our culture that it was an epidemic, that it is now. But we can see now that it has clearly become much more common and that almost 70% of our generation as adults experience FOMO. That's a significant percentage of the country. Now, this also wasn't the first trend that has ailed 20-something-year-olds. Back in the 90s when, you know, 20-somethings were going through this, you know, dot-com boost and the rise of the internet, there was a societal angst that was similar in how it's, it was similar in its effect on society as FOMO is today. Now, this angst was this whole, how do I best describe it? It was this whole situation where the 20-somethings weren't understood by everyone else and no one gets me was the main quote, I guess, that could be associated with it, that everyone felt isolated and unrelated to everyone else around them and felt as though society was unable to, I guess, identify or relate to their problems. This was coined as angst, and that's what was affecting a lot of teenagers and 20-somethings as they went through high school and college. And when you, if you want to take the time to go look through this issue, it is very similar to how FOMO is affecting us today, it, not just with the age group, but also with the mentality around it and how it's pretty common and you know, similar across different people, how they're experiencing this particular issue. Now, while FOMO may have laid dormant since 2000 and may not have caused that much of an impact until a couple of years after, I think it's safe to argue now that it's one of the most closely linked aspects to the digital age outside of social media and phone addiction. But I think before we analyze the impact of it and what we can do, it's worth taking a look at where it came from. Because while the year 2000 
might have been when it was first coined, it was it was lacking something. It was lacking a medium for which it could spread. If we're thinking about FOMO in terms of a virus, it was lacking a way in which it could spread to different people and start impacting our lives on a greater scale. And I think it would be easy enough to trace it back to Facebook in that Harvard dorm room, since we commonly associate now the social media platforms with FOMO. The way we're sharing and seeing other people's lives is what's causing that fear of missing out. So it makes natural sense that, you know, the catalyst that started this rapid spread was Facebook, that first social media platform that was developed close to that time when FOMO was first being talked about. But I'm not fully convinced that Facebook was the catalyst that started this you know, spread of fear of missing out. I think it was something that came even before that, something that we take for granted now. And most of us, at least if you're under the age of 30, most of us grew up not ever having, not ever having not had this technology. And that's SMS messaging. So SMS messaging, for those of you who need a quick tech lesson, was how, well, SMS messaging versus iMessage or some of these other platforms is when your carrier is providing the platform to send the message rather than some application. Now, the first SMS was sent back in 1992 to by a computer to another phone and was shortly thereafter, I think a year or two afterwards, developed for privatized use. Now, the way I want to talk about SMS messaging and why I think it was has such a big impact on FOMO itself is the idea of making plans and how hanging out with friends and connecting with people changed drastically when we were able to text message each other. And I will talk about plans later when I talk about what we can do, you know, to live or survive with FOMO. But I want you to think about texting in the context of making plans while at college or on a Friday or Saturday night. In that before there was this, there was no social media. There was calling. You weren't texting anyone. And I think it's hard for us to imagine having a phone and not being able to text to communicate, but rather having to set up calls. So texting was really this first bridge into seeing what other people were doing. And before this, if you made plans, you had to stick to it. It was less easy to cancel a plan because it involved calling up everyone who would be involved and changing or canceling the plan entirely. Now with texting, it was easier to connect with multiple people at the same time and change plans and figure out what else was going on. And this is my basis for the argument that I think texting really pushed FOMO from something that was maybe minor where you found out about a party a week ago or you have two things that you could possibly have going on on a Friday night to now FOMO was affecting plan making and people were becoming, I guess, less motivated to stick to plans because they were becoming easier and easier to change. So now the groundwork is set. We can see how the progression from here was drastic and you know expedited from texting to Facebook to other social media. We can see now how it progressed from a small window into other people's lives with being able to text them to now a live feed or as close to as we could get with Snapchat and Instagram live and Facebook live, we have access in other people's lives that's unprecedented. 
and this has caused the severity of the fear of missing out to skyrocket. In fact, as we said earlier, 70% of adults say they suffer from fear of missing out. Uh, that's according to an Eventbrite study. But that's an absurd number of people. 70% of adults say they suffer from fear of missing out. This has become an epidemic. This is a byproduct of social media in a connected space. But I think it's affecting us in ways that we are not fully aware of yet. Um, so there was an Oxford study. It was led by Andrew... Good God. I've, I've practiced saying his name and I still can't say his name. But Pris... Prisbiz... Prisbiliski. You try and pronounce P-R-Z-Y-B-Y-L-S-K-I. But anyway, that Oxford study connected fear of missing out with not just this anxiety that we feel, but also with discontent with our lives, depression, anxiety, and social media and phone addiction. This wasn't just an isolated issue. Everything that, you know, all these issues that we say are plaguing our generation are interconnected through this fear of missing out. Along with that, studies are finding the average adult is checking their phone once every 10 minutes and that it's rarely out of an arm's length reach away. I can attest to that right now because my phone is sitting next to me as I record this podcast, even though there's no need for it. You can see how this is a perfect storm for everything to just get marginally worse. When we're addicted to our phones, but our phones are causing us to use social media and social media is causing the fear of missing out, it seems like an endless cycle that's only staged to progressively get worse. But it's not just a technology issue. I think we have only talked about it on you know, the basis of a digital age so far, which is you know the point of this podcast is con- contextualizing all of this within a connected world. But it's not solely a technology issue. FOMO is... It goes beyond just seeing it, seeing your friends on social media and texting your friends over your phone. There was an, a study. It was published in the Journal of Motivation and Emotion, and it was researchers from Carleton and McGill University in Canada. What they found was that FOMO was present equally, no matter what medium was heard through. This means that someone who heard about an event from a friend in person over lunch was just as likely to experience FOMO as seeing that post on social media. And I think this shows a clear point, but also one that needs to be caveated and linked back to what social media still plays a role on this. Because even though the level of FOMO might be the same across where an event or opportunity, linking back to Dr. Herman's definition of FOMO, even though the media might be able to change, Social media is taking that and just compounding it because while if you hear about, say, a party from a friend at lunch and that that causes the same level of FOMO as seeing it on social media would, now imagine social media is just the equivalent of having lunch with 600 of your closest friends at the same time because you're seeing everything that everyone is doing rather than being able to focus on that isolated event. Now, I think this study does show that FOMO is a human issue. It's not something that is being created by social media. There's always been this desire for humans to try and rationalize experiencing every opportunity available and what we are losing by not doing that opportunity. In business, this would be something called an opportunity cost, which is nothing more than the loss of a potential gain when a different option is chosen. And that really does summarize what our brains are doing mathematically, at least, 
when we're experiencing FOMO. It's this weighing of pros and cons and losses and gains, but in the context of opportunities and experiences. And this is what's causing anxiety because we try and ra- we try and optimize that scenario where we're having the most fun and the most enjoyment out of our experiences, but we're still in the back of our mind worried about what we potentially lost out on by not doing that second choice that we had. Along with the fact that FOMO seems to persist outside of social media, that same study also found that it affects people in different ways. But a lot of it goes back to personal satisfaction with your own social life, in that those who were less satisfied with their own social life experienced higher rates of FOMO when, it, when looking at the social lives of others. This seems you know, completely reasonable when you, when you read it out loud, but it might not be easy to, to rationalize in someone's own head that, of course, someone who's not satisfied with their own social life likes seeing other people's social lives and feels you know a sense of inadequacy when looking at when looking at other people's social activities through social media but it's interesting that it relates to that fear of missing out as in that they think it would better enrich their lives to be experiencing that same experience that someone else has now all of this paints a pretty bleak picture between you know we can't escape FOMO off social media it's pretty much part of who we are in terms of social engineering, I guess. Along with that, social media is compounding that issue and making it not just a human issue, but also a technology issue. And there's no end in sight. Social media isn't going away. Phones aren't going away. Phone addiction is only getting worse. And the world is only becoming more connected. So what now? How do we tackle this issue? How do we handle it as a generation who's probably going to have the worst experience with it? Since it was also related in some studies that FOMO seems to dissipate as you get older. And that may just evolve from a contentness that someone feels, you know, I, they might feel more content with their lives as you get older and priorities change. But since we're not getting older yet, at least most of us, myself included, and still sitting in my 20s and still very worried about the impact of FOMO on my day-to-day social interaction, I think the first part of it comes down to figuring out how much FOMO really affects you. And there's a couple of questions, I think, we can each ask ourselves and evaluate the answers to determine how bad FOMO is getting to us and affecting our decisions. So I think one of these questions, and we'll just list through them and then I'll talk through a couple points, is do you struggle to make plans outside of your friend group? So are you struggling to commit to plans while your large friend group might be doing something else? Do you text while driving? When taking a picture, what's your default camera choice? Do you typically go to Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook or to the actual camera app on the phone. Are trips and events thought out in relation to pictures? So is there any consideration taken to, I need to bring my phone to this event because I need a picture or I need to plan this trip here because we need a picture of X? And is the first thing you do in the morning, check your phone? I think these questions balance out you know, evaluating your own phone addiction versus also balancing how you ex- might experience FOMO. So if you're struggling to make plans with people because you're worried about other things coming up, as in, hey, there's a friend visiting from out of town, they want to get dinner on a Saturday night. But my group of 10 friends, oh, they might be going out that night because they usually go out on Saturday. If that's giving you anxiety, that's the you know, whole, whole idea of FOMO is that you are worried about missing out on other opportunities. And in terms of the pictures, you know, if you're worried, if your first default camera might be Snapchat, where you're on 
a trip or at a concert and instead of taking out the camera, you take out Snapchat. It shows an inclination that you would rather, you're more focused on the sharing aspect than actually capturing the moment. Which is, it's worth exploring these questions on your own. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer or if it shows, you know, a clear connection to FOMO. But it is worth thinking about in terms of your relation to social media and also if you might be experiencing some symptoms of fear of missing out. So I think the bad news is if we've all, you know, as myself, self-diagnosed ourselves with some extent of FOMO, I think FOMO is almost partially unavoidable. You know, most online solutions that you read, if you read how to get rid of FOMO, a lot of them focus on disconnecting completely. So getting off of social media for a little bit, you know, setting limits on yourself because that will limit the exposure to other opportunities and your mind won't have to worry about, you know, what you're missing out on. I think there's some merit to it, but I don't know if it's the correct answer, at least in the way they mean. I don't know if limiting yourself similar treatment to cigarettes or any drug-based item is the way we're going to get through FOMO. Because there's a lot of positive aspects to social media. Businesses are now moving towards social media. A lot of work is being done through social media. And the connection aspects are a positive thing, even if some of the side effects might be negative. So I can't say I agree that disconnecting is the best way we can remove FOMO because ultimately we will be drawn back to these platforms. But what I think we can do is we can begin to disconnect in different ways. We are the generation that's more focused on experiences than things. You know, two out of three of us would say we would rather spend future money on experiences, trips, concerts, events, rather than buying tangible items. And that's not a bad thing. I think the world is meant to be experienced, not bought. But I think we need to evaluate in terms of the social media and disconnection side of who are these experiences for? Are we experiencing it for ourselves or are we experiencing it for an audience? I think you can see this clear example at a concert, for instance, where you look around and half of the people are looking up at a 70 degree angle to their phone screen to make sure that they're capturing the moment in that nine out of 10 songs someone's recording. Is that experience for you anymore? Are you recording it to look at your phone later when you're there? Or is that for everyone else? So I think to disconnect in this way, we need to consciously think about when we're at these experiences that we all like, at least we all should like them. Focus on experience it for yourself. And there's nothing wrong with capturing pictures or videos of these events because years down the line, they will be cool to revisit. But try and limit yourself. You know, a concert, you don't need to videotape the entire concert. And in reality, you probably don't need to look at your phone to videotape it, point it in the general direction, and it'll probably turn out okay. On that other side, maybe try and not default to Snapchat or Instagram for your camera, but rather use your actual camera. While this may not prevent you from sharing on social media, it adds an extra step and allows you to evaluate if that picture was for you or it was for someone else. And while you might not have needed to Snapchat 80 minutes of Drake on stage, maybe one or two videos and a picture that you can keep is just enough and still provides you some Instagram and Snapchat material later. And this is what I think the key for us will be. While we focus on these experiences, we need to make sure they are for us, that we didn't do this because we think it would be an Instagrammable opportunity. Because while you might not be thinking about your experience in that context, everyone else is. People are 
you know, companies, businesses, they're aware that our generation likes these experiences. We love these festivals. We love these events. We love these trips. And they market it that way. They want you to go and take pictures. They want, they are building these signs in these places that are Instagrammable and Snapchatable for that exact reason, because it's advertising and it, it promotes more people to come to these events. And being aware of that as someone who might be suffering from FOMO, it might just key you into a bit of the trap that is being set. And maybe it might be easy to avoid of, oh, there's a, you know, that cool board over there that shows the exact event we're at. It has a, you know, a map drawn on it and it's all wood and metal and it looks cool. Maybe I'll just take a picture there and hold on to it rather than Snapchatting it, tagging it and sharing it instantly so that everyone knows I'm here. And evaluating that on the terms of a question, would you have done this if you couldn't tell anyone about it? On top of disconnecting, there's some out, there's some advice out there to make make less plans. And this has some merit. So there's a study done by Gra- Gabriella Tanito and Selen Malcock. They were both then at the Orland, Olin Business School at Washington University in St. Louis. And they found that scheduling all of our time, so scheduling our events, our dinners, our leisure time, our personal time, was actually making it less enjoyable than just doing it. That making all these plans was making our minds see it as more of a chore, something that has to be done, rather than something that should be enjoyed and it should be relaxing. And this is a key finding. This is something that's showing us how using all all these tools that we have available to us and worrying so much about the schedule and these plans and hitting everything we can that, oh, it's you know, it's Sunday, so I need to schedule brunch, and then I need to schedule shopping, and then I need to come back, and I need to hang out with some friends at home, and I need to go to my book club meeting. It sounds more like a need in a business schedule rather than enjoying your day. So decluttering our lives a little bit, learning to make a little bit less plans and let things happen naturally can lead to lower stress and lower amounts of this anxiety that we get from FOMO. On top of that, in a very connected note, stop being a flake. It may sound easy, and I hope people don't take it the wrong way that, you know, it's terrible to cancel on plans, but canceling plans is becoming very easy. And since we are seeing most of these plans as now chores, and we're seeing them as something that has to be done rather than something that we want to do, we are more inclined to cancel them or not show up. And that since plans are so easy to make, we're inclined to be polite and say, yes, I'd love to to go to brunch next week. And then when brunch comes around, you cancel at 9.30 because you don't feel like going anymore. We need to be more conscious of that. We need to evaluate if we want to go to an event. And if we are hesitating to say yes, why are we hesitating to say yes? If we don't want to go, there's nothing wrong with saying no. And putting yourself in that other person's shoes you quickly realize that no one's going to take offense to this. People recognize there's things going on in all of our lives that we might not be able to make it to every event. But our inclination to say yes, even if there's hesitation, that's a clear sign that you might be doing it out of FOMO rather than because you actually want to. But this doesn't all need to be doom and gloom and we're, you know, we can't escape FOMO, we just have to control it. Our generation is changing things. From a generation more expo- more focused on experiences and less stuff to a generation that's also staying more connected with people, to our family, our friends, and we're creating online communities that better the world. From learning communities to professional business communities to em- communities about empowerment. 
the powers of social media are very endless and positive. And while FOMO might be a huge negative side effect, it's manageable. The upside is there. We just need to be the ones who take it. We need to ask ourselves as we go through this life of all these great experiences, would you have done it if you couldn't share it? But on that note, I think this is a really interesting topic. I think I'm going to revisit FOMO in the future, um, evaluating myself as well as getting into some, hopefully some interviews about it. But let me know your thoughts on this episode. Please leave a like and you know comment, reach out on Facebook with any thoughts or questions. With that, I think we are going to wrap it up for today. Hope you guys have a good rest of your day and I'll catch you all here next week. See ya.